0: What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from Him, we can do nothing. It means He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of
1: salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah.
0: But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing.
1: Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, February 7th. This is Messiah Matters number 205. Coming to you from an alley in the northern region of Tacoma, Washington. My name is Caleb Hagg. And with me, from the dungeon of his wife's palace in the valley, <laughs> a
0: Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going well. I was just imagining, for those who can see, like, you know they used to have the Goodyear blimp? Yeah. Like at football games. Yeah. Imagine a giant blimp that's a tour Resource mug. That's just kind of like... Floats around, or it could be a uh, hot air balloon. Well, there's some hot air the, here. There's no doubt has about the, that. The, the Tor Resource logo <laughs> on it, just floating in the beautiful sunny skies above.
1: Right on, man. How you doing? Did you I'm watch that well. football game? Oh, good gracious! The Eagles. Did. That I, was I, possibly I one of the. Did.
0: And, uh, and I what really what really. Grabbed me. Yeah, is is the quarterback of uh, Eagles. Uh, Foles. Yeah. Um, his story, and if anybody, you know, even if you don't watch football, if you learn about his story and watch his whatever five minute testimony interview post game. Yeah. Dude, I was just like, it's pretty incredible. Man, this is amazing. Basically, he almost like he said, hung up the cleats, right? He got he got uh, released from, I think, was it the Rams? I don't remember who he played for. He was a second-string quarterback, you know, who had struggled. You know, believer in Yeshua. Wondered whether he's on the right path or not, was ready to quit. Um, and then their star quarterback gets injured, and he goes in there, and uh, it's... It was crazy against Tom Brady, you know, and I know that, you know, I don't know how many people watch football of our of our listeners, but I don't watch much football. But I something I was like, you know, I want to watch the game. That game had to be one of the best Super Bowls I've seen in a very long time. I was just the whole time. I'm like, no way. I know this has nothing.
1: I know this has nothing to do with with our normal show, but I got to tell you this, too. So I go to my buddy's house. He's he's a guy who really likes hot stuff. Right. So I go to my buddy's house for the first two quarters. Of of the Super Bowl, and uh, he he has a little area Spice. where he, yeah. he 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 grows his own peppers, right? Oh, yeah, really nice. So he says to me, uh, Caleb, you like hot stuff, don't you? I said yes. He said, uh, I got something for you, and he pulls out this thing, his this jar from his from his refrigerator, and it's it's like this orange color, and I know instantly, obviously, we see the orange color in the habanero, right? I said, uh, okay. So I grab a chip. He goes, now you're going to want to be careful with this. I said, why would you put in it? He said, well, I grew my own ghost peppers, my own habaneros, my own scorpion peppers, and my own Carolina reapers. And he said, and I just cut them all up and put them on in there. <laughs> I have to say, it was one of the hottest things I've eaten in a very long time. It was. I put one drop on this chip. And my whole face, that you know, I start sweating. I could like start seeing visions of the end. it, I, it was it was amazing. It tasted oh. good too. It, it tasted good too. It was oh, that's great. It, it but basically,
0: what, back to the back to the football. Yes, he was an example of Messiah matters to him. Messiah matters right. to the, court, to, the right. to the quarterback of the Eagles, and that became absolutely clear. He made no. No, no qualms. When he received the uh, the MVP award in, in the middle of the stadium, right? All glory to God. And then in the the interview, you've got press photographers and click, he's giving click, his testimony. Him a question: He's like, without, without. He says Jesus, not Yeshua. He says I'm nothing. Right. Without him, and it was just like, that's that's awesome. So. All right. Before uh, anyway. we before we go on,
1: um, if if my levels are a lot lov- uh, a lot higher than Rob's, please let me know because uh, it's I'm having trouble seeing where I'll where exactly. I'll try exact- to talk louder. No, I'm trying. I'm just I can turn you up. I'm just having trouble seeing if we're like right around the same area or whatnot. Anyway, okay, okay. Um, so welcome everyone to Messiah Matters. And before we uh, get into our show topic today. Um, Which you know one of the changes that we made at show 200 we changed the name of the show We changed kind of the format of the show and one of the main changes we made was an arcing We're arcing our our uh, discussion, right? So we started with Like what was the messianic expectation? I thought that would take maybe a week or two. We're on the fifth week of this same um, this same discussion, but Interestingly We keep finding new stuff, right? We keep getting new articles and, and finding new stuff that uh, we think is relevant to all of this. So, um, but before we get to all that, let's uh, let's thank uh, our current sponsors. Uh, of course, this show is produced by Torah Resource, TorahResource.com dot. Something froze. There it goes. Go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of wonderful free stuff. Did you know? I I don't know if people realize this. We have, uh, we have commentary. On every portion of the Torah, totally free on Torah Resource. All you got to do is go to Torah Resource, click on the weekly parashah in the toolbar, and boom, there it is. You can download them, you can view them, you can do whatever you want with them. They're
0: great. Um, so much good stuff there. There is. And, uh, and, like, just for example, I got an email from a person um, I've never received an email from before, and they asked about, you know, that I'm working on the passion chronology. Somehow they they got my email, um, but were unaware of our discussions. And so I went to Torah Resource website, went to the articles, found um, Tim Hegg's article on the chronology of the passion, which is basically an updated excerpt from his Matthew commentary. So right. there's several pages right from his Matthew commentary, uh, kind of re you know massaged for a to, to be released as a single piece. Right. And I just took that link i popped it in an email and and then i said and also i recommend dr brant petrie's book jesus in the last supper excellent boom yeah. boom Sent it out and uh, i said i hope this is helpful in your studies so all right um, that there are resources there that are are great um, for for assisting people who are in the middle of sorting things out exactly so go to Torah Resource and, and find
1: all sorts of great stuff there also uh this show show 204 Five is brought to you by YeshuaShirts.com. Uh, start a conversation today. Oh, should I give the tagline of Torah Resource? Torah Resource, by the way, exists to provide biblically based education for disciples of Yeshua. Boom. Um, okay, and Yeshua shirts. Start a conversation today. If you are lacking clothing that says Yeshua on it. Well, jump on it. Go to YeshuaShirts.com. Start a conversation today. And, of course, uh, the rest of our show is produced by you, the listener. Uh, the Messiah Matters is uh, is basically—I found out how much it costs us each week just to produce this show, and it was mind-boggling. Uh, it's It was a lot more than I thought. Anyway, not the point. Uh, we are only able to do this through the generous donations of our supporters. And so if you'd like to help produce one of these shows, you can go to tourresource.com, click on the Donate button, and uh, make sure to leave us a note. Let us know that you're, uh, that you're uh, listening and that uh, you appreciate the show. We would certainly like that. And actually, we are also uh, talking about making a specific, specific uh, producership a way for people to actually produce specific shows. Um, so that's still in the works, but we're we're talking about it. So if that's something that you would be interested in, let us know. Um, and then, of course, if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can. Give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you one more time, especially for those on the radio, 253-465-3205. And I am getting those messages. By the way, Evelyn, who is in the chat room today, I got both of your messages. We will be talking about some of the things that you brought up. Um, and actually, maybe we should just say this. Evelyn had a great idea for us. She had the idea that we should give our testimonies and, and uh, so people could hear our testimonies. Uh, this is actually something that we've been working on long before we got Evelyn's message. And uh, hopefully within about three weeks or so, uh, every single staff member of Torah Resource will have their testimony, how they came to Yeshua, and then also how they came to the light of Torah. And uh, you'll be able to watch those uh, at as you wish, on tourresource.com and, and once they're up there, we'll make sure to give links to everybody so you can go watch those. And, of course, you can send us emails as well, chegg at TorahResource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Okay, let's get into it. So we did get some comments this past week, and we do always appreciate those. And so let's look first, Andrew. Uh, who is not only a supporter of this show, but also a, a fun person to talk to because he tends to disagree with us on things, and and uh, but he's open, right? He's open to, to dialogue and whatnot, which always makes it very uh, interesting and fun to, to be able to have somebody like that. Uh, so Andrew writes in, hang on, let me, uh, I'm sorry. I got three screens here, and I'm trying to manage all three screens. It's hard to produce this show, i got to say. Okay, here we go. Andrew says, maybe on a future show you can list – and discuss a few of the most essential theology books that someone should have. Now, I don't know if he means theology or just things that are probably musts in your library, right? Like, if you're going right. to be studying the Bible, I, I, I mean, theology is a specific uh, vein of, of <laughs> the books that you want, but there's more than just theology, right? He says, uh, not necessarily just books from the one Torah movement, even though those are, we both believe, the very best and most accurate well, yeah. Um, so obviously uh, the books that we have at our resource are going to be uh, top of the list in terms of commentaries and whatnot. But Rob and I discussed this past week and we thought, you know what? This is a good idea. Maybe once a week, every show, we'll trade off. I'll right. recommend – and I don't know. We, we could come up with a good name like uh, Get It or Kick It or something like that. I don't know. Like, uh, So we can say whether or not you should have the <laughs> Buy book. Buy it or bag it. Buy, Buy it, it or, or bag it. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, I don't want to say burn it. We don't want to – Advocate burning.
1: So there's, there's, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to take it this week, but there's several things that I think need to be mentioned first. When you're really doing a uh, good study of the word, and jump in here anytime, Rob. But I think one of the main things that uh, needs to be said is there are good places to go online and find good articles and whatnot. However, they are few and far between. If you know a good author and you find something by him online, okay, fine. But the point is, is that you will have a very, very difficult time getting good information that is solid information that you can rest theology on on the Internet. Self-proclaimed teachers and self-proclaimed uh, you know, leaders and all these kind of things um, often have a lot to say, but what they have to say is not worth the, the paper they're writing on. Um, so I think that uh, one of the main things that needs to be said is Laziness needs to be taken out of study in the Bible. I understand that my situation is uh, very, very unique in that I am in uh, God has blessed me and my family beyond belief. Not only do I have a a very decent home library, but I work in a place where I get to study a lot. And the uh, my office is right next to probably one of the larger personal theological libraries on the West Coast of the United States. And so uh, I'm very, very blessed to be able to have all of that at my fingertips. However, if I didn't have that at my fingertips, um, there's still no need for theological laziness in our Bible studies. Um, we have the ability in our technological age to be able to purchase books, used books at a very inexpensive price, right? You can go onto Amazon and find used books. You can go onto Abe uh, books and find used books for for a very, very decent price. So if you have five bucks, if you can scrounge up five extra dollars a month, you can usually buy a book used at least once a month. And if you do that every month, you have 12 books at the end of the year, right? So um, And beyond that, Uh, you know, if you're going into a major city or if you live close to a major city or even if you live an hour away or something, there's universities that have very good books in them, theological books, and you can go to those universities. You can usually scan books. um, And if you did that once every three months or so, there's a free book. You know, you could scan a whole book at a university if you take an hour to do it. Um, So, uh, you know, and like uh, Erna is saying in in the chat room, um, there's uh, Credo courses and uh, places like Ligonier Ministries that often offer very, um, very cheap uh, courses that that you can purchase, right? Uh, and Ernest says maybe give us a review of Credo courses. It depends what course you're going to get. Um, I have a Credo course from Dr. Daniel Wallace on textual criticism. It is outstanding. Uh, Dr. Wallace is amazing, and, and uh, hearing him talk on that is is really a treat. I I recommend it for sure. So um, the, all of that just to say, don't be lazy. Don't just think that you can get online, uh, do a Google search, and you're going to find stuff. Even myself, I last week I looked at pseudographical works, jumped online, found this uh, this article that looked really good from a guy who is a what they said expert. In, in uh, old Bibles, right? In, and he was talking about all these different Bibles and everything. So it seemed like he knew his stuff. But then when I picked up Carson, D.A. Carson, all of a sudden I realized that the majority of what this guy had said in his article... You mean was, Metzger? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Metzger. You're right. Uh, okay. I picked up Metzger, and uh, most of what this guy had said in his, in his uh, article was off. It wasn't right. Anyway, so... Don't be lazy. That's number one. So for this week, for your library, I think that this is an excellent book. And I think it's one that you don't have to read straight through. You can reference it from time to time. <clears throat> so it's good to read straight through. It's also good as a reference book. And that is, I think, a must for your theological library if you're going to be studying um, manuscripts or any, even the Bible in general. It's called The Journey from Text Text to translation by dr paul wagner i have met and interviewed dr paul wagner he is a delight to talk to and just a a wonderful person is he at golden gate yes I he is. Remember. yep golden gate seminary and he's uh just really really good anyway so this book is is fascinating it takes you basically from um it talks about the formation of the canon the torah the tanakh um he talks about the Apocrypha. He talks about, you know, all these different things. And it's just a, a general overview. We use this book at Torah Resource Institute for our How We Got Our Bible course, another book that you should have, How We Got Our Bible by my father, Tim Haig. But I think that this book is really an essential book. And the reason I say that is because I continue to go back and look at this book. I constantly go back and flip, you know, I'll read something on on uh, a manuscript or I'll read something on, uh, you know, a, a book of the Bible or something, and I will open this up and find where he talks about it. And it's really a good reference book. It's also fun to read through. So uh, there's my recommendation for this week. You should have, uh, consider getting The Journey from Text to Translation, The Origin and Development of the Bible by Dr. Paul Wagner. All right.
0: Well done. I feel like I should have some out music right there. (laughs) Okay. But if we could just zero in on this idea of laziness. Yeah. what, What, let's, let's maybe bring a little more detail to that because it's, it's not sitting around like twiddling what we're envisioning with the idea of laziness, at least me is not sitting around twiddling our our thumbs thinking somehow, um, I should all this understanding of, of scripture is just going to happen without me having to do anything. Um, so we're not talking about that kind of laziness. Um, but we're talking about, um, learning some basic skills of proactive um, and smart use of your resources. right? And a a local university, and and the thing is, what it does, it it ups your engagement level. In other words, get in a car, get on a bus, get on your bike, whatever you got to do. Physically go to the place. Learn the library layout, learn what, if you're not a student there, maybe you can get a library card as a, as a, just a local community member that gives you limited library rights or ability. It might be 20 bucks a year. Learn this kind of, uh, things that you need so that you get into the habit of visiting the library. You know, right where to go, where you can sit and have a quiet time, where the coffee shop is, where the bathroom is, right? All these things to make it, uh, a a part of your life, even if you just go a couple times a year, or if you go once every three months or once a month and learn about the local libraries that you have and what they have available. And then also learn what your options are in terms of interlibrary loan. Maybe they, maybe you go to the information desk and you say, I'd really like to read this book. Um, is there any way that, you know, through my limited, um, community, uh, library privileges. I can have that book brought here, Right. you know, pursue it, right. You've got like, you want to pursue it actively where, and and it's going to cost you. That's, that's the thing, right? It's going to cost you. Even if it's, if you save 10 bucks a month and buy, like Caleb was saying, buy a used book in a, in a year, you'll have 12 books. And if you've read all those books, you're going to have a sharpened Right. Uh, A sharpened mind for what books you want to put in the future. Right. Maybe more than half those books you're going to resell or give to the goodwill or whatever. But the idea is that you're on a trajectory of learning that is long term. It's a journey. But your your skill set and discernment will be sharpening along the way. And that will equip you for dealing with the kinds of ideas that we get hammered with in the world. Um, and you will then start to be more careful with your use of the Internet. It won't be like a random dumpster diving, but it'll be targeted research, right? I know what question I'm asking, and I, I have a basic bibliography that I'm working on because I kind of have a sense of who I, whose ideas I'm tracking, and I see who they're referring to in their footnotes, and that's helping me propel forward. That's one of the big things. You
1: know, uh, uh learning who to read. You know, you pick up a book like you know, Metzger from Metzger or Carson or somebody that you know is a uh you know, even somebody you might disagree with but you know is a, a heavy hitter when it comes to the- theology. Uh an NT Wright, an EP Sanders, uh something like this. Then all of a sudden as you're reading they have copious amounts of footnotes. Now, when you find a point that you like and they give a footnote, go see who they're referencing. That's the next Circle book it. to read. That's the next find, book to pick up. Find
0: that book, exactly. Right. You build you're building your bibliography. You're building right. a library. Um, and it doesn't mean you're going to agree at the, when you buy a book, don't think okay, I, you know, I'm not going to buy this book unless I agree with everything in it. There's um, you know, you're going to develop just like Caleb, you have your taste for hot sauces, <laughs> you know, you're going to develop, uh, I'm sure there's hot sauces. You're like, no, I'm, I'm not even going to try that one because it's not hot enough or I don't like the flavors. Right. You know, there's, there's an element, and this gets into the wisdom of, uh, of Michele, of the Proverbs that Gary and I have been doing our conversational commentary on is that it says acquire wisdom. Literally, uh, the verb leak note is to purchase, to acquire that means when you purchase something, that means you have to work for it. You have to save up for it. You have to make it a priority, and and then you're, you're engaged in the acquisition. So that right. when you have it, you value it for what it is. You're you're not. It's not a. It's not like a cheap thing, right? It's something that you that's deliberate and valuable because you're all invested and you know why. That's that's what we're talking about. So. Uh, laziness would be anything like, well, I'll just, you know, watch a YouTube video and consider myself educated. That's the problem of our, just one more thing here with our rise of, of the social media is that we are bombarded with so much information that everybody, there's this temptation to be an expert on everything. Like you ask me any political question, any, uh, (laughs) religious question, any environmental question. And I can, I have an opinion. Right? I'm like, because <laughs> I can Google it. Right. I can read an article and tell you what my opinion is. We're not, that's kind of the laziness we're talking about. So we want. Okay, well, we have, we
1: have, uh, the chat room is just a buzz today, and uh, we cool. always appreciate that. So we got a couple of comments. Uh, Helen, who I'm not positive, but I think the next comment that we have in the mailbag is from Helen. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but she says, uh, would the one year program at TRI help with a neophyte? Uh, And the answer is yes. Uh, In the one-year program, you're going to learn a little bit of language, uh, beginning of of, uh, Hebrew language and or Greek, and you will learn um, how we got our Bible. Uh, That's actually more of a college-level course where you will start to learn how, you know— how everything was put together and you'll have to be writing a little bit, things like that. Um, And then once you get through a one-year course, you can always uh, pursue a a two-year or a three-year. And then another question, I use my, or another comment, which is a great comment. I use my JSTOR a lot to read journal articles. It's free. So yeah, go get a JSTOR uh,
0: account. Those are going to, that's going to cost money. Uh, We have it as an institution for inside, but um, most, my experience is with most, libraries, uh, you go in as a community member, they'll usually have a couple computer terminals that are available and you might have to write down, you go sign in and they they give you a specific terminal and you have a certain amount of time. So you got to learn the, learn what's available to you. But usually libraries have access to all sorts of journals, dissertations, things like that through their portal. But but you can't do it from home. Like if you log into their, your local library or university portal from home, you don't, unless you have a password, so Eve, you've you got to be on site. Is Eve I mean. is
1: saying that my JSTOR, that is M-I uh, space JSTOR,
0: is free. Cool. Oh, yeah. You know what? This I'm glad she points that out. Some of them have, you can w- look up to three articles a month or at a time, and you put them on your shelf, and they'll give you full access. I don't know if they let you download them. I think you have to view them on their website. So good point, Eva. That's, that's important.
1: Okay, let's move on because, uh, and I, I think uh, this comment's from Helen uh, as well, but I could be wrong about that. So if not, then I apologize. But uh, she says, hey, guys, I need your advice. I'm trying to learn the Bible. Aren't <laughs> we all? I'm not a new believer. The problem is I have been a spoon-fed born-again Christian. And wh- whenever I ask questions like, why don't we read the Bible in Hebrew, people think I'm being stupid. First of all, if people think that you're being stupid, maybe try to search out a new community. Questions like that should always be uh, received with, great, let's do it together, or great, I have resources for you on that, or great, let's study the Bible together. Um, She says, what advice would you give somebody like myself? I never knew. uh, We had a Bible called the 1611 until yesterday. The 1611 is just the year in which the original King James Version was authorized. So a lot of the times people will call it the 1611, the authorized version is another name or title for it and or um the king james version the kjv um okay so this is actually something that we've been talking about ahead to our resource again how do we uh, educate people who don't have time maybe right now to get uh further education or you know even like myself i i have uh two very young children at home and a wife uh who you know she needs time away as well from the kids because who doesn't um and one of the uh one of the things that we've started doing is we trade off so uh once a week she gets to go and she takes the night and she goes usually to a coffee shop or something like that and she gets to study and or do whatever she wants to do uh and then I have a night where I get to do the same thing so I can go and um, study, or I can go play music or do whatever I feel like doing. So, um, but when it comes to uh, what Torah Resource has been talking about, we've been talking about doing a QA and more a how we would study the Bible, how to get information if you don't have access to a theological library. Um, by the way, uh, we're also talking about at Torah Resource Institute how to get our library, our theological library. Accessible to our students, so that's something else that we're working on right now as well. Um, I think that really what it comes down to is finding. Um, I, if you're studying on your own, and I'm going to make this really quick because I think that uh, this needs to be hashed out a lot more th- in a lot more time than what we have. But just to get started. I would say find a topic in the Bible that you want to study. That could be how we got our Bible. It could be something like a specific book of the Bible. It could be something like a word study or study on like Yeshua's parables or, um, I mean, it could be anything. You can find all sorts of different topics, but something that really, you know, you could investigate the Trinity. You could investigate the doctrines of grace. You could investigate all sorts of stuff, but focus on one thing and start with one topic and find, you know, find some standard books on that. So when, you know, and you can always email us what's a standard book for uh, studying the doctrines of grace or what's a standard book for how we got our Bible or, or th- things like that. Get one book and start looking in the footnotes. Find what books are referenced and then start getting more books. And this is how this is how you will study, a, you know, go to the library, find articles and books and those kind of things. And that's how you would start to study something like that. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna hash that out more uh, with uh, our our live uh, hopefully with our our live event on uh, Q and A that we'll do. And so stay tuned for that. Okay, let's get to our main topic. I think uh, we've been yammering on for long enough. Um, wow, how do we even get into this? Okay, well let's start with the second article first. Um, Rob and I both. Um, you know what I forgot? Hang on just a second. Let me bring up our tour resource logo. And yes, okay. Um, Rob and I both are members of the Evangelical Theological Society. And one of the perks of being a member of the Evangelical Theological Society is you get the jets every, what is it, quarter? I think it's every quarter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so JETS is the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society It looks something like this And in every art, uh, for those who can't see it, it's just a, a book It really is a book And uh, this is Volume 60, Number 4 Last week we talked about um, this this Dynamite article in here Sola Scriptura and the Reformation But which scripture and what translation? This is by Ben With- Witherington the Third. Well, Rob, as studious as he is, uh, continued to read all the other articles in here as well, or at least Not all of some of them. Not of them, just a couple of the other ones. And he found this one, the Word made flesh as mystery incarnate, revealing and concealing dramatized by Jesus as portrayed in John's Gospel by a guy named Ardell Cain Day. Now,
0: I don't know where to start core, with this. The core point is this. Here, Here's what, is it K Day? I don't know how to pronounce the name, forgive us. Um, the, the idea is this, we, we have this word mysterion or mystery used right. in, uh, in, uh, the, the synoptics, like the mystery of the, uh, teach you the mysteries of the kingdom. Paul uses the word mystery. Okay. I mean, the Greek word literally is my, mysterion, mysterion. John doesn't use that word. The gospel of John doesn't use that word, but right. what the gospel of John does is give example after example, exa- uh, after example in the gospel narrative itself, a a exam- uh, examples of w- what is parallel to this idea of mystery. And I, I'll give you an example. For example, I see an example one more time. I've said it over and over again, places where Yeshua is misunderstood, and then the gospel writer himself tells us, "Oh, and we understood this later." The, the, uh, uh, one of the first ones is uh, destroy this this temple, and in three days I will build it up and this is in john chapter two and then but John himself writes the disciples didn't understand or understood after his resurrection that he was talking about, about the temple body. of his body yeah. so so this is a place where in the in the actual initial time in the real time in history when Yeshua said this, even his disciples didn't understand it wasn't just the you know, religious Jews that uh, Yeshua was talking about or talking to that didn't understand and made the hubbub, the disciples themselves didn't understand. And John tells us this. So, th- And then he says later, after the resurrection, the disciples go, oh. Now we get it. But but then from then on, it's not like it's a mystery anymore. It's not like from then on, John's disciples didn't still needed to be taught that. The lesson was was this one time thing. Another is... This uh, places where we have this ambiguity of terminology, like we've we've talked about Nicodemus and, and Yeshua talking in John chapter three. Okay, wait, hang, on, hang on, just say you're getting. You know, a little the, bit, anyway, these are examples. You're getting of, you're getting ahead, though. You're getting ahead because the article dives in and talks about specific, yeah, examples.
1: Yeah. So this. so this article basically what he what he does is he he says uh, D A Carson. Wrote an article, and this is the D. A. Carson article that we have as well. D. A. Carson wrote 81. an, ar- yeah, in eighty one, talking about Were you born yet.
0: I was born in eighty one. Yes. Okay, so this this article is as old as Caleb. That's right. This article came into the world right along with Caleb. <laughs> exactly. And
1: so uh, what D. A. Carson wrote is a is a article called "Understanding Misunderstandings in the Fourth Gospel." And this article, okay, so. What basically later on, D. A. Carson says, "Hey, it's been a bunch of years. Nobody's taken my
0: work on these misunderstandings and expanded on it." And he's because kind of, he says in the eighty right in the article eighty one, he says each of these verses needs to be exegeted like fully. I can't, and he's like saying I can't do that in this limited space. So he kind of sets this, and then just recently, more recently, he's like, "It's been however old Caleb is," and. Yeah, (laughs) no one's done it 30 plus years.
1: And so, and so this guy in in the Jets article, he, he like, he, he, he he, he picks, he tries to pick up where Carson left off. The problem is, is that the, pretty much the only good part of this guy's article is when he's describing what Carson has said. Now, no offense, but theologically, this is, I mean, it's just a dropped ball all around. The guy, the language that he uses, the points that he makes.
0: Yeah. He seems to have a like a supersessionist bent, which ironically to me sounds to me like he's misunderstood. He, he misunderstood in the exact opposite way. Yeah, exactly. Whereas whereas in Acts one, the apostles are like the God, disciples are like, oh, so we're, let, are we going to set up the kingdom now? You know, now that you're resurrected, are we going to like establish right. the kingdom of Israel? And Yeshua's like, no, On the, this guy who writes this article is like, oh. He would have been a disciple saying, okay, never again. We're, Israel's done, and it's yeah. all about yeah. – you you know. not, not only is Israel done, but the Torah apparently,
1: according to this guy, is you know totally done away with. The temple is destroyed because – you know it, 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 he's just all over the place. And quite frankly, it was very dis- – it was hard to read
0: too. I mean it was just hard to read. Here's the thing. But, I'm, hey, I'm glad he wrote it because it uh, got yeah. us into the Carson – trajectory. Right. So th- There is merit to to his article. Now, this is the
1: joy of having a good theological library. I say to my father, you know, my door is open on my on my thing. I said, "Hey, do we have D. In a. Carson uh, Understanding Misunderstandings?" He says, "Oh, that's in the Tyndale Journal." Right over to this shelf. Here it is. It's this one. Boom! Printed it out. There it is. So now I can mark so it. So that up.
0: book is that book has been on your dad's shelf since I was your born. Your whole life. That's Isn't right. that weird? Every day of your life, every memory you had, that book was sitting right there waiting for this
1: week. That's right. Now, Carson, what he does in this article – thank you for that, by the way. What Carson does in this article (laughs) is actually quite – I was 10. Ever since I was 10, it's been on that show. Exactly. So here's a couple of things that I wrote down. The basic premise. Jesus says things that the disciples don't understand until after his resurrection. That's the very basic premise of what Carson is saying. However, what, what Carson does beautifully is he he uh, points out three different kinds of people. Now, for those who have been listening to our show in the past weeks, you'll remember that we're looking at the Messianic expectation. What did they think of in the first century? And now last week we talked about this, this title, uh, Son of David, right? Oh, it's the Son of David. It's the Son of David. Even the... You know, they're all these different people, even non-Jews, were saying, son of could David. This be, could this be the son of David? Right, yeah. exactly. So so there was this understanding, there was this messianic perception of this son of David that would come. Well, what Carson does is he pulls out three different kinds of people. The disciples, those are the people that are following Yeshua and are f- fully on board at this point, right? They 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 believe and they're following. And then detractors, that would be like the Pharisees. Or, and he puts Nicodemus into that uh, category. And he does that. He explains why he, he does that. Because basically Nicodemus, he's not necessarily against Yeshua, but he kind of comes in the night. He doesn't really want to be seen. And he comes to try to test Yeshua a little bit, right? And he's he's kind of asking him these questions. And, and then, and then, so anyway, that's another one. So detractors. Ticket that's right. what I call. And then the layperson, the person who doesn't really know anything. And he, uh, and he, he points to. The uh, Samaritan woman, right? And the different responses that we get. So let's read one of these. John 2, 19 through 22. Mm -hmm. Yeshua answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had spoken. So in other words, they didn't understand that he was supposed to raise, it seems from this passage that they didn't understand that he was supposed to raise from the dead, right? And what's the response? The response is they understood it afterwards. Now with Nicodemus, it's a little bit different.
0: Do you want to stop and say anything about that first? No, nope, no, nope, go ahead. This is an example of where John himself is telling us about this misunderstanding that was concealed Right. At what, so Yeshua reveals – he says something that is this enigmatic statement, and people are like, what? You know, various levels of pushback. And the disciples themselves are on the side of the befuddled. But right? he doesn't – but what's most interesting to me about this passage,
1: about the John 2, 19 through 22, is he doesn't explain it.
0: Yeah, he's, he, he's sure not worried about you, them not understanding. You,
1: yeah. Yeshua sure could have just said, hey, look, I was talking about my body. I'm going to die and raise from the dead. Don't you know that? Look at Isaiah, right? I mean – he could have done that, but he didn't. But he he does a little bit with with Nicodemus. I'm in John 3, 3 through 10. Yeshua answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Now, uh, Rob has written on this before, and uh, Carson points this out as well, that again can also be, uh, the, the word in the Greek can also be, uh, from above, Anathon can be again or from above. So, and everywhere else in the Gospel John, it's clearly above, right? It's
0: clearly from above.
1: So uh, he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, un- unless have uh, uh, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus, Nicodemus says to him, and now notice, Nicodemus gets it wrong. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Yeshua answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Yeshua answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? So once again, he, what's interesting about this is that Yeshua takes the time to explain it to him
0: and he still doesn't get it. Right. And then he says, how will you believe if you don't believe when I tell you earthly things, how are you going to believe? Right. If I tell you heavenly things. So Yeshua's Yeshua's just saying, look, there's a limit. Here's me, (laughs) here's me, here's you. Right. And, and I'm not worried about it. I'm here for a purpose that you're really not going to understand. And he's, but Yeshua is still speaking truth. That's the thing. He's not, um, Yeshua is still speaking with the fullness of grace and truth. That's like John sets us up from the beginning of the gospel. Right. Um, but that truth that he speaks Mm-hmm. Just because it's true doesn't mean the hearts of of humans, like, grasp the the significance of, of the truth that he's speaking. Right. Well, what I think one of the interesting things to me is
1: that Yeshua takes the time to, ex- to explain it to him. With the disciples in 2.19 through 22, he doesn't. He just keeps going.
0: Right. You know? yeah. You'll but figure it out later. You'll yeah. figure it out
1: later. With this one, he explains it. No, I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Okay, and then we have our final category of person, which is the Samaritan woman, right? So this is <clears throat> this is really interesting. You should, uh, so I'm in uh, 4.13 through 15, and then I'm going to jump to 25 through 29. Yeshua answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, now I've skipped to 25. Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come, oh wait, no, no not yet. Huh? Or nor come all the way here to draw, the woman said to him. I know, the Messiah, the, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the, uh, the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Yeshua said to her, I, speak, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Messiah, is it? So she had, I mean, what's interesting is that the Samaritan woman, she almost believes instantly Right? She goes and tells all the other people, like, dude, I think I found the dude. I think I found the Messiah we've been waiting for. Whereas the the disciples, yeah, they were following him, but they still didn't they still didn't understand what he said. The layperson grabbed a hold of it. The teacher of Israel didn't. Nicodemus didn't, right? Okay, so what are your thoughts?
0: Mm, I love it. I, I'm so <clears throat> grateful to God for the Gospel of John. I think it's beau—it's beautiful. It's and one thing that, if you look at the Carson article from '81, <clears throat> he expresses hesitancy with using the term "literary device," right? The idea of a literary device is like, well, he's going to use irony or you know, it's things that good writing uses to engage the reader and to maybe trick the reader. Oh, is this guy really? You know, the whole book you're thinking that this guy is the good guy, and then you find out that he was behind it all, right? So there's ways that writers in the craft of, of telling a story do this sort of thing. Right. <clears throat> and Carson wants, because, because the Gospel of John is part of Scripture, he doesn't want to lessen it by using literary critical terminology because he says they're insufficient they're, to describe. But on the other hand, God created language. He gave humans language. And there is a language art that's being used here. Right. And Yeshua uses the art of language even in, back to the uh, destroy this temple. Yeshua knew that that they had an option to think, well, what are they going to do when they heard him say the word temple? Were they going to think of his body or were they going to think of the physical building? Did they see themselves as temples, their bodies as temples? So he knew that they... You know that there was more than one way to read his words. Same thing with when he used Anelthon with Nicodemus and in these other instances. Um, so I don't think it's a lessening to say that there's an art of language being used. Yeshua himself used parables. Right. Parables are uh, uh, an, the the parable form is a parallelism. It's poetry. It's wisdom. All packed in, into a real nutritious vitamin. A nugget, A Right. And so there is a skill of and uh, the end of Kohelet talks about, you know, the, the shepherd who collects sayings and, and formulates these these hidot, these riddles for the purpose of, of capturing wisdom. But it takes, you know, there's sayings we know of Yeshua that take a long time to chew on and reflect on. And we, they're easily memorable. Like you strain a gnat and you swallow a camel, right? Something like that where you have the imagery, you have the cartoon imagery, but you have a a, theologi- a profound theological punch to say, look, in, in your play of ultra-stringent uh, halakhic lifestyle, you're actually bringing in this huge unclean thing that, you, that you're blind to. Right. And and uh, so anyway, I just want to kind of push back a little bit on his article saying I, I don't want to use literary device. I'm like, I, I can understand where he's coming from. But on the other hand, if we see language as a gift of God, words are what separate us as humans by God's design from the animal kingdom. That deliberate use of language is in the Torah. It's in the prophets. It's in the Psalms, the Proverbs and in the Gospels and in the epistles. Um, that we can be okay using those terms, even though we will also use it of like Moby Dick or Tom Sawyer or whatever world literature that's also out there. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that.
1: The thing that I noticed uh, and the thing that really struck me about this because I had been uh, – Rob had given me the, the Jets article to read on Friday and so I had been kind of mulling it over and whatnot. And one of the things that really struck me – is the idea of veiling the words, right? Yeshua says, uh, you know, he says to his disciples, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they don't understand. And he doesn't try to explain it to them. Well, we have the exact same thing happen in the Torah. And we have it all the way up into modern time, into this very day. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Let's let's look at some uh, some. Uh, okay, in Exodus, right? Exodus thirty four thirty three. When Moses had finished, right? He's speaking with God face to face now, and uh, when he comes down off the mountain, what happens? He veils himself. He puts a veil over himself. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Exodus thirty four thirty three. Now in 2 Corinthians three sixteen through six three thirteen through sixteen, Paul tells us what this veil was. He was hiding the Messiah, right? And, uh, he says, And are not? Are they not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away? But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, this is a very interesting phrase here, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ but to, this, to, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Right.
0: And so in other words, when, they're, when they are a participant in new covenant creation in Messiah Yeshua, right. the external Torah doesn't disappear. It's not like now there's no more commandment outside. It's that now the inside, God has prepared the inside to match the outside. Right. Right. So so we still have Scripture outside of us and we still need to read and meditate and memorize Scripture, just like a person who who might be, let's say, they're Orthodox Jew. They don't they reject the gospel, but they they study, they meditate, memorize the Scripture. We both have Scripture external, but the, the terms of the new covenant is that there's an internal change that God himself does through Yeshua, through the forgiveness of sins, which is purchased only through his death. And right. resurrection and ascension, and makes the spirit now inside match this Holy Spirit that that inspired the words of Scripture external to us, so that there's a, a coherence here, and that's it's like a, this amazing, wonderful grace that that we have. Caleb, I have another one. Uh, did you want to unpack that one more? The only I thing. The, the only the thing I, to share.
1: Yeah. The only thing I want to say mm-hmm. about uh, the Second Corinthians three, thirteen through sixteen is this term "old covenant." It's the only time in the uh, entire uh, corpus of Paul's uh, works, and I believe in the entire apostolic scriptures, that is the New Testament, that this term Old Covenant is used. Right. Uh, Christians, when debating uh, Torah pursuant believers, uh, they bring they, they use this term a lot, right? I hear this constantly, Old Covenant, Old Covenant, Old Covenant. What does Old Covenant mean? And my father's done excellent work on this. He's written, a, you can find it in the Torah Resource articles. Um, but what does old covenant mean? Every time Paul uses the word old, I mean, look that up, old man, right? Old, you know, old minds. All these things have to do with, uh, when Paul was not a believer, old covenant is reading the Torah without Yeshua in mind, without it being written on the heart. Once, uh, once the veil is taken away, it's no longer an old covenant. It's the new covenant. Right. Right. And that's the point. Okay. Keep going. You got one.
0: Though, Oh, from the Torah itself, we see this happen. We see, well, a couple of times, actually. One is with the, prom- the promise to Abraham that, um, and there's others, but this is a main one, promise to Abraham of offspring, mm. even in, in spite of Sarah being barren. Well, what do they end up doing? They end up, mis- they're like Nicodemus, Right. Not understanding Yeshua's words. What they do is, well, Sarah's like, well, maybe we need to get Hagar <laughs> right. and you go have a baby with Hagar. Maybe that you're right. They, they like pursue an interpretation of the promise. And then God's like, no, it's not right, though. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's not it. Um, and, and so we, we do have these examples. I think that it even happens with Adam and Eve after hmm. Cain kills Abel when when she says, I've acquired a man or, or uh, Seth. God gave me Seth to re, uh, to replace Abel who who Cain killed. I think she's thinking that Seth is now the promised he's going to fix uh, mm. the fallen creation now. Right? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because she associates Seth with the the death of Abel and that now there's a you know a solution now. Now of course it is through Seth that we have Noah's line and 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 on and on and on, but that unfolding uh, historical kind of development that has time and time again misunderstandings mm. of Scripture uh, and misunderstandings of God's promise um, that continue on even into Acts chapter ten, the Peter's vision. It can right. be understood this way. What Paul writes in Galatians two. Like Peter's up in Antioch and he's like, he's like, you know, he'll eat with these people. But then when these other people show up, he, he like separates and won't eat with them. There's still learning to be had, even on this side of, of the resurrection and, and the ascension. We, we are still learning. And I love it in 1 John, he says, we know we're children of God, but we don't yet know what we will be. Hmm. But we know this, that when he appears, we will be like him, right? We will be pure even as he is pure. <clears throat> and so I'm paraphrasing. here. I think that's 1 John chapter 3. But this is, the, this is John the evangelist writing and explaining that disciples of Yeshua in this world, we don't see everything clearly now just because, you know, just because we're on this side of the resurrection. Right. We have more information to us, uh, available to us. Paul puts it this way. We see through a glass darkly. We have to depend on the grace and the majesty and, and the sovereignty of Yeshua, because he fills in that gap between the edge of what we know and can understand. He's got the, the rest covered. Our knowledge isn't as, that doesn't take anything, it doesn't take everything into uh, account where Yeshua has all authority in heaven and on earth.: So
1: I like what you're saying because this is going to lead right into my, my point about our age today. What's interesting, and those in the Torah movement or uh, Torah-keeping Christians, whatever you want to say, I don't care, Messianic, Hebrew roots, whatever, who are now uh, pursuing a life of Torah but believe fully in in, uh, salvation by faith alone, right? I think that a lot of people, we see this a lot, people come out of the church and they feel like the church has just totally missed it, right? They've missed, and for a long time, right? If you study church history, you see that even by the 3rd century, 3rd, 4th century, we start to get into some weird things that are not – they're no longer biblical, really. They come more from church doctrine and church council, right? And they hold on all the way – I think you're muted still.
0: Uh, Yeah, I had to clear my throat. Um, Yeah, because who's – it's the powerful who are producing the text now. You know, and so they're, they're writing the history, but they're still. But they, we know that there's people like in Chrysostom, Chrysostom's day, they're still. You know, the common people who are hearing the word, they're they they have not written off community. You know, right from the Jewish communities, so they, I, they're still like, what you know. I was listening
1: to uh, W. Robert Godfrey's uh, church history, which, by the way, your uh, Ministries, uh, Doctor Godfrey has taken over um, for R.C. Sproul. Now that Sproul has passed away, um, and Godfrey, if you haven't heard his church history, uh, it is really very, very excellent. Uh, now he's coming from a um, traditional uh, reform tradition, and Dutch reform at that. I believe he does uh, hold to uh, paedo-baptism. but for the most part, his his uh, history lectures and his theology as a whole is pretty, pretty good this is a minute and 47 seconds long he's talking about the catholic church and the doctrine of transubstantiation he's going to explain what that is for those who don't know and he's going to and just listen to so when i think of veil the lord yeshua right he's celebrating the passover okay and he takes the matzah he breaks the matzah you know and he and he associates it with his body right and then he takes the cup He drinks the cup. Well, he gives the cup to the, this is in Luke 22. Uh, At this point, he doesn't, we don't see him drink the cup, but he passes the cup around to the other people. And he says, this is my blood. And then he says, what? Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. And it's almost like these words were veiled in a way that the church picked up something that's totally asinine and totally contrary to what he's talking about and made this idea of communion,
2: which is not biblical at all. The first thing that we can say is that the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, which is defined in the Middle Ages, has relatively little support in the ancient church period. Now, I said relatively little. There are some theologians that Rome can quote that sound very much like they teach the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now, you know what the doctrine of transubstantiation is. It's the doctrine defined at the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 that says the bread and the wine, by the miraculous work of the priest, are changed into the body and blood of Christ. They are so completely changed that that bread is no longer bread at all. It is purely and entirely the body of Christ. And the wine is no longer wine at all. It is purely and entirely The blood of Christ. And this is remarkable. It's remarkable because, of course, it still looks like bread and it still tastes like bread. But the miracle is it's not. There is nothing left of bread to it. It is purely and entirely the body of Christ. And that's why that bread, once consecrated, can be taken and can be worshiped because it is the body of Christ. And when Protestants say, Well, you're worshiping bread, they say, No, we're not. We're worshiping Christ. And and at Mass, to this day, when the bread is consecrated, the altar boy, if there are altar boys, rings the bell, and everyone is to bow, and the priest holds up the bread, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody is to worship, because even though it looks like bread, the Roman teaching is it's not bread, it has become the body of Christ.
1: Now, Dr. Godfrey is obviously explaining the Roman Catholic view of this and is not advocating for transubstantiation. However, what's interesting Mm -hmm. is that Dr. Robert Godfrey is uh, is a uh, like I said comes from a Dutch Reformed tradition. I'm sure that he. Uh, I think he. I don't know where he goes. I, I would. I can assume, but I'm not going to. Um, but he does take communion, right? And we have good friends in the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement that still go to church on Sunday and they still take communion. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That okay? I've I've had communion recently. I've gone to church, and I've had communion with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But it's totally not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that requires communion. is clearly talking about a Passover, a Passover celebration. He's not talking about some ritual that you do on Sunday. Now, I know that's going to offend some people, and I apologize for that. But the point is that through a misunderstanding we have this ritual that is now a central doctrine of the christian church right it doesn't matter if you're protestant it doesn't matter if you're catholic it doesn't matter what what denomination you are i think the mormons even take communion right it's it's something that has been widespread
0: no, I, actually i don't know how what, their theological uh, deal you know framework of that but it's neither here nor there
1: but yeah, the but the point is, is that um, they've taken a misunderstanding of this. And granted, I I know that the Roman Catholic view is that uh, in John six thirty six is where is where they get the the idea of the transubstantiation, and whatnot. But once again, we're talking about misunderstandings. But it, to me, it's interesting how this has become a pillar of the Christian Church. Instead, they've replaced something that is commanded by God, which is celebrating the Passover. It's forever right it's eternal it's throughout all your generations it's a memorial forever yeshua says do it in remember in remembrance of me and christians by and large not across the board but by and large uh the christians have jumped on the bandwagon and said oh yeah it's this it's not talking about passover it's talking about this this ritual that we're gonna essentially create through a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation, so the veil still remains. In a open. way,
0: it's like it's like the Hagar, right? What exactly. Saying, it's yes, like, it's like Abraham going and like forgetting, stopping listening to God, and just living on as if Ishmael is like the answer God said. Right, <clears throat> but it just shows that, that... Or, or it's like Yeshua or Nicodemus going and and like starting teaching people that you have to be born again from your mother's womb right and then just start teaching that like yeah. that that is even though it's impossible even though people are like wait a minute uh yeah but it
1: just it, now, now i've, I've said yeah. this many times and i and, and it needs to be emphasized i'm not saying that that the christian church is uh, you know people christians traditional christians are uh not in god's grace that's not at all what i'm saying for some reason god has has ordained it like this and knew that this would happen and the way that we know that he knew this was that in the prophecies we see the torah the nations coming to the torah in the end well how can they come to the torah if they didn't have it in the first place if they already had it in the first place they you know it it, it we know that the the nations will come and 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 keep the torah they'll come back to an understanding of the torah so they had to go away from that understanding
0: at some point so god is god this is this is good in god's eyes right isaiah 56 right right. then those who come don't let them say don't let the stranger say oh the lord is separating me from his people he's saying don't let them say that rather there my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people right and this is what yeshua cites when he's knocking over these money changer tables right Uh, so Right. We, we are in a world that is full of misinformation, full of just we're flooded with information like ways. Back to just referring to that Ben Witherington article that we talked about last week about the difference between Sola Scriptura when they had five different source texts for the Bible and maybe even a more less for the Tanakh, maybe a, the printed edition of, of uh, one of the early printed editions or something now in the early Reformation, 500 years later, we have so much information pertaining to the Bible. But along with that wonderful uh, situation we're in with all this information about scripture and history, we're also that in that same door of, of information technology, it's just so much noise, so much noise that our need, the reason we can't be lazy is we need to, we need to learn vigilance and to be watchful, to be prayerful, as Yeshua trains us, so that we can be equipped for this time we live in, so we can be sources of light and of of good sound information, even though we're being bombarded and flooded with crazy information. And and it's so easy to to dumpster dive as we use that term for using the internet. Um, One other, if I could just bring us back to this article, the word made flesh, what I liked about you know, the Carson article, of course, and then this follow-up from the recent uh, Winter uh, Jets, is that Yeshua, that, that John sets us up from the beginning, that Yeshua is the Word made flesh. In other words, when people see Yeshua, they see this person walking around like, oh, he's just one of us, right? You know, I mean, we know his family, we know his, you know, why is he so great? You know, we know where he grew up. We know all this stuff. So they see a flesh and blood body just like everybody else does. But what John is telling the story to remind us that while that's true, there's, there is something being revealed that God has, is through the through, uh, incarnation – is is finishing, is completing the revelation of His Word in this world we're in, and um, opening the gate in, in John's language, opening the gate to to the eternal uh, presence of God for for the flock of Yeshua, for for His people, right. and uh, that's. This is a hard—these are big ideas to get our head around. But when you think of just the miracle of life itself, the fact that, you know, every Shabbat we rehearse, God created the world, right? This world is not a—didn't evolve from monkeys or from goo, you know? This is a—God created the world. He created—he put everything in its place. He put man in his world and gave us breath and words and and intellect and— uh, you know, language like we were talking about earlier and sin has come into the world and corrupted our, has blinded us, has hardened our hearts. And God acted in, in his planned way from the foundation, like the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as it says, uh, how he would work redemption and purchase and uh, the elect, basically, and gather the elect, and this is what's unfolding, and we're um, honored and privileged and humbled to be participants of that. And, and the gospel of John, by these misunderstandings, teach us as disciples to not uh, to not be like those who misunder- uh, who, who jump the gun, right? We don't want to be those who who jump the gun. Now, sometimes we're going to learn. We all have our inner Peter. No, you know, we're going to have our re our pre-wired expectation that we're going to jump on, and it's going to be different than what God is saying, just like Abraham with Hagar, just like Nicodemus not understanding the born from above, just like the disciples not understanding that he was talking about the temple of his body. Um, we Each one of us is going to have this kind of, zeal that comes from our our wiring but needs to be tempered is going to be tempered by the ruach just because we know that yeshua rose from the dead just because we know he ascended and he's interceding for us doesn't mean that now okay i understand everything the temple you know no more temple no more right. sabbath laws done away that is that is the same kind of jump the gun in my view i think in our view that we want to be aware of. We in other words we are we need to accept with humility our inability to grasp all the things of God. But at the same time we can we can joyfully affirm that we are part of the kingdom and that we trust absolutely in God's sovereignty, in Yeshua's grace, his forgiveness for our sins, and that we have just the joy of fellowship with him, not by our own works, not by any righteousness that we have like Stored up for ourselves, to, to buy our way in anything like that. But rather we get to learn what it means to be humans that are being slowly shaped and growing and developing as children of God in this world, even though we're not of this world, we're still in this world. And this is, it takes our whole life. It, it It's a lifelong walk. It's a narrow path. Um, but what else do everything else would be a lie. Why? Why? You know what? Any other pursuit um, is really would have an only temporary appeal or or glow about it. It would really be we'd find it tasteless and unfulfilling. Um, Only only in Yeshua do we have are we connected with with true life, with resurrection life. So um, we,
1: we have some interesting conversation going on now in uh, the chat room, which I will try to address here. Uh, Helen says, it's like communion, quote, every Friday night and at the end of Sabbath where you bless them again in remembrance of what has been done. Uh, oh, wait. She said first, it, if one does the typical tradition of candle lighting – and blessing of the bread and the wine, aren't we doing this in remembrance of Yeshua, which is what he asked us to do? No, that is not what he asked us to do. First of all, candle lighting uh, to mark the beginning of Sabbath doesn't come on the scene until much later. Uh, nor does uh, the, I mean, the idea of the kaddush. Do we see it in the first century? Possibly there is uh, evidence that this could have been a, a widespread tradition. However, we really see uh, evidence of the Kiddush to set apart Uh, in the Qumran sect, right? We don't see it outside of the Qumran sect necessarily. Now, uh, that can be debated. It could be debated. And uh, Yeshua does does use language that seems to uh, mark a ceremonial Kaddush. But whether or not it was specific, it obviously wasn't what uh, we have today, right? If it was a set Kaddush, that is to set apart, that's a, for those who don't know, it's a blessing over the wine, to set something apart If that was the case in the first century, um, we don't know what it looked like or what that entailed at all. Um, So then um, Peter says, maybe what the Christians or Messianics do that is called communion is a New Testament version of a Kaddush and not a ritual Yeshua created on Passover. Well, that may be the case. However, uh, the communion... The where we start to see the communion is at the end of this uh, second century, early of the th- beginning of the third century. I I know scholars would uh, cry foul on that for sure, but I think it's I think it can be pr- proven. Um, so basically, the the uh, the question is: Does the um, does the, you know, because Friday night, the the Sabbath is supposed to be a memorial of creation and our exodus from Egypt. And I think that's where Helen is coming from. But that is, in my opinion, certainly not where uh, the command of Yeshua, do this in remembrance of me, is, is coming from. He's specifically talking about, uh, you know, what do we have from, from uh, the Gospels that we know is specific to the Passover tradition? There's not a lot. In the first century, there's the lamb. We know that the lamb was specific for Passover. There was matzah. We know that that was specific for Passover, and everything else is is debatable. Being in
0: Jerusalem, obviously, and being even Gospel of Luke tells us that the Yeshua's family every year went to Jerusalem for Passover. So, being in a being in the physical place was was a part of that deal,
1: right? Um, so those three things are really the only thing that we see in the Gospels that are specific to Passover. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people assume that there are certain things that we see in the Last Supper that we have now as a part of the traditional Passover seder. They were not uh, there's absolutely no evidence that they were specific to Passover in the first century. Uh, rather, the evidence points to later rabbinics, implanting those into a, a, into a Passover Haggadah um, and not vice versa. So anyway, the point is, is that when he says, do this in remembrance of me, could he have been talking about the meal itself, the Passover meal itself? Possibly. Uh, And could he have been uh, talking about the Passover celebration? That is the eight day celebration. Yes, absolutely. He could have, could he have been talking about the slaughtering of the lamb on the nissan 14 yes absolutely and uh if you'd like to know what i believe on that issue <clears throat> then please wait for my thesis to come out <laughs> uh, okay well i think that we've talked long enough uh next week we're gonna have to talk more about something that has to do with the messiah and um, Caleb,
0: is the is the tyndale archive available online it might i, I would encourage people i don't know uh, that's a good question the tyndale you know I don't know if it, if it would be on available online or not but uh, they do have some journal articles available on the the Tyndale website I do know that whether they whether they have dr. Carson's article from 81 someone would have to go look out but um, anyway yeah good chat today good stuff oh man I can tell
1: I can tell Passovers coming up uh, some of the questions that are coming up now how does one do the celebration like what Yeshua wants us to do well we can talk about that I think this is I think the entire book of 1 Corinthians is talking about that. And then uh, Evelyn says, do you think Yeshua gave sin offerings and participated in atonement, though he was without sin? Absolutely, because those offerings didn't have to do necessarily with sin. They had to do with cleanliness, right? Ritual cleanness a lot of the time. Um, Sin offerings, maybe not, but... uh, Anyway, this will be uh, our first Passover, Hashem, to Helen and her family as Torah believers and wondering what we are to do. Helen, uh, shoot me an email, and I would be happy to dialogue with you. You can email me at cheg at torresource.com. It's hag at com. I would be happy to discuss uh, the Passover. And not only that, but uh, usually Michael and I, starting right about this time, start doing live uh, feeds to... Uh, To prepare for Passover We talk about theological things And also what we do in the Passover celebration So please shoot me an email And uh, I would be happy to anyone Not just Helen, to anyone Shoot me an email And and we'd love to talk about that Um, And also email us with your ideas for show topics uh, Things that have to do with biblical questions Or also uh, things that have to do with our Messiah Yeshua Right? You can also call us at 253 465 3205. I'll give it to you one more time. It's 253-465-3205. All right. Well, show 205 is in the bag and we are happy that uh, we were able to do it with our uh, everyone in the chat room. Thank you so much for the lively discussion. We always uh, love seeing your comments and everything. And uh, we hope to see you next time here on Messiah Matters when we talk about something that hopefully will glorify Our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah Matters!